believe the person of Jesus Christ to be? That's a tough question. He's the main guy for Christianity, I guess. He's cool. Jesus Christ. Who is he to you? He's just Jesus, man. I don't know. He's just, this is a cool guy, man. He's awesome. A carpenter from 2,000 years ago. A Jew, definitely. And yeah, he was a reformer, but I don't believe him to be the Messiah at all. Uh, who do you believe Jesus Christ to be? Ooh, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, I believe he existed, um, but I believe that he might have been like a rock star, like, you know, pretty cool. Like, maybe people thought he was super cool, but I don't believe in him as like a religious force. He's a person in history. That's all. It's a comfy story that probably makes people feel secure. Who do I believe Jesus Christ to be? Like, what kind of question is that? Who is he to you? Is he anything to you at all? Or? I mean, he's a religious figure, he uh, had, I mean, he obviously had a good message to send. I don't know if I, he's not my savior, but he's, he was a good guy, for sure. I think Jesus Christ was a magician. I mean, he studied, you know, he studied in the Far East, kind of like David Blaine, but like he had way cooler tricks. He's a dead man um, who uh, had an enormous impact on the world, okay. uh, he said a lot of wise things. Um, and uh, was the man of his time. A person, a historical figure, that's it. To me, he's a guy that, I guess, he, he started a, a thing with some people, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it turned into something he didn't intend. I actually don't know yet. Um, it's just something that I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I believe in and what, mean, what it really means to me to even have a religion right now. All right. Good morning, everybody. Praise God for the gift of baptism. Amen. Absolutely. You bet. So, so exciting. Nothing is more important than God transforming lives. And nothing is more important for all of us than that question that you saw up on the screen, our question of the day that you heard talked about there in the video. Who's Jesus? Who is this guy that we've been reading about these last few weeks? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Maybe the most important question that you and I will ever be asked in our life. And depending on who you ask, the questions are going to be all over the board, as you heard there in the video, right? He might be a rock star, okay? So we got Justin Bieber and Jesus. They both have kind of long hair. We're not sure, right? Could be a rock star. He could be a good guy. He could be uh, a moral teacher. Uh, all the way to the other end of the spectrum to he's God, and he's my Lord and Savior. And depending on who you ask, you're going to get a lot of different answers. And we, I believe that there's no more question, important question that we could ask because it's not only going to impact how we live our lives now, but it's going to impact what our lives look like for eternity, right? Very, very important question. Turns out we're not the first ones to wrestle with this question. In fact, Jesus' own disciples were once asked by Jesus himself, that very same question that the people on the street in the video were asked. And it's in Matthew chapter 16. If you want to turn there quick, you can. Matthew chapter 16. And I'm actually cheating a little bit today. Uh, we're in chapter 24. Uh, but this question comes at the very beginning of chapter 25, if you're in the story Bible. And it's on page 353. So Jesus is ha hanging out with his, his group of disciples there. And he poses this question to them. 
And he says this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, the, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So he's kind of, Jesus is asking, what are, the, what are the popular opinions of the day? What are, what are people saying out there about who I am? And it says, they replied, some say, well, you're, you're John the Baptist. Others say, you're Elijah. You're, you're Elijah reincarnate from the Old Testament. And still others say, you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus poses this question to them, and it's up on the screen. Let's read that together. But what about you? Who do you say I am? I'd like to emphasize the you. Jesus meant this as a personal question to the disciples, not the popular opinions of the day, not what everybody else is saying, not, uh, not what your parents' faith is, not what you learned growing up in Sunday school. Who is Jesus to you right now, here, today? And that's the question that Jesus posed to them and he now poses to us. Because Jesus knew something, that faith will never be real lived out through us until faith is real inside of us. Amen? It's got to be something more than just flowing through us as like somebody else told me to say that. Is it real in you? I'm guessing if we polled the audience today, if we took a poll of everybody here, there'd be a lot of different ideas of who Jesus is. There's a lot of different images that come to our mind, and of course, this is based on your own experiences with Christianity. This is based on your own experience with the church, or how you grew up, or what you were taught or not taught about him. And as we look over the years, I think that there's people, especially people like us, followers of Jesus, who have a habit of making Jesus, well, kind of whoever we want him to be. And there's a lot of different images, when we think of Jesus in our minds, of what Jesus is like. So we're going to throw a few up on the screen here uh, today. So go ahead and go to that, that first one. Uh, this is what I call the Cabbage Patch Jesus. Uh, and maybe some of you see him like this, right? So there's Jesus. He's nice and calm. He's hanging out with the kids. He wouldn't hurt a fly. Uh, he's hanging out and with some of the Cabbage Patch kids there uh, came to hang out with Jesus. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, this is what I like to call the homeboy Jesus. And he's going, hey, how's it going, right? So he's cool, and he's hip. You know, he's like the guy in the video, you know, like, dude, I don't know. He's like a musician, a musician, a magician, right? Jesus, homeboy, right? He's cool. I'm pretty sure this Jesus, homeboy Jesus, would probably do the Harlem Shake or something like that, right? Like, he's, he's just down with it, right? He's down with whatever you're down with, right? Go ahead and go to the next slide. Uh, this is what I would call the saintly Jesus, right? You probably see him on a stained glass window somewhere. We're not sure if he was like really a man uh, and if he had any fun whatsoever because he's there, he's, he's in an image, uh, you know, maybe uh, on the stained glass window on, on your church or something. But he's very serious and he's looking very religious. Here's my favorite one, the last one I'll show for you. Uh, go ahead and go to the next one there. This is the not amused Jesus, right? <laughs> He's looking at you saying, I don't care what you say, I'm not amused by you, and I don't think you're funny one bit, says Jesus, right? He's got no time for fun, right? Last but not least, uh, this is the image, go ahead and go to the next one. This is the one that I grew up with. Does anybody recognize that one? Might have been on the hallway, uh, in the hallway in your, in your Sunday school growing up. And I really struggle with this one because for most of my life, I, I was growing up, I was reading all these stories of Jesus, like he was doing all these amazing things and everybody loved him. 
everybody just loved to be with Jesus, and I had a really hard time understanding that because I looked at this picture of Jesus, and I'm like, he doesn't even have a personality, right? How could you fall in love with a guy like that who doesn't have a personality? And then I got to thinking, oh, I get it. Jesus must be Norwegian, okay? <laughs> but he's got blonde hair. Well, he's, he's Caucasian. Uh, this is not true, by the way. He's Caucasian. He's got long hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, and man, can he grow a beard. And all the Norwegians in my family that I knew had all those characteristics, and they didn't really have personalities. And so Jesus must be like that. If we're not careful, we can kind of make Jesus fit into our own image. And if we're not careful, we put him in a box and we say, well, this is who Jesus is. And essentially we're saying, this is who God is. And it's very easy for us to put him in a box. And to be really, really confused then when Jesus does something in Scripture, and we're like, whoa, that doesn't fit inside my box. So now what do I do with that Jesus? And so that's the same issue that the people around Jesus' time were having as well. So if you want to open up to chapter 24 of the story, just go back one chapter. It's called No Ordinary Man. You know that we've been traveling through this story, and it seems like the Old Testament took a long time. But now we're finally in the New Testament. And now that Jesus is finally here, he's standing right in front of people, and they're still confused about who he is. You know, we've been reading through this story for the past several months, and now when we arrive on the scene, even after Jesus has revealed a lot about himself and and done a lot of miracles, people are still confused. Who is this guy? And is he really who he says he is? And I believe there's a lot of different stories to cover, and we're not even going to have time to cover all the stories that are just in this one chapter today. But if I can step back, and if you can look at chapter 24 from a broad theme, I think there's two main ways that Jesus reveals himself. There's two main ways that Jesus shows us that he's much more than a rock star or a cool dude or your homeboy. There's much more to Jesus than that, and there's two ways that he does that. Number one, through information, through his teaching, and number two, through imitation. Everybody say information. Information. Say imitation. imitation. Those are the two ways that we see Jesus revealing himself. And so we're going to start on page 340 of the story. We're actually going to skip ahead uh, a few pages, and we're going to start, if you've got the other Bibles, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. So the first way that Jesus does it is he does a lot of teaching. Jesus was a pretty good preacher, and you'd probably feel really bad if you fell asleep and started snoring during one of Jesus' sermons, because if you can't stay awake for that, I don't know what you're going to stay awake for, right? So Jesus is a great preacher. And he does a lot of teaching, but he's not just giving us information. When I say information, he's not just giving us statistics. He's teaching us about something in particular, and that something is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I have a kingdom, but it's not a kingdom of this world like the Roman Empire. It's a kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus starts teaching one day. He's out, and he just starts teaching on the hillside. And this ends up becoming one of the most famous Uh, sermons that he ever gave, you know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And so we read this. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you know this list. You may know it as the Beatitudes, which comes from this Latin, words, Latin word, which essentially means blessed. Now, it'd, easy, it'd be easy for us to be like, oh, okay, so here's another list from Jesus about all the things that we should do. Here's another list from Jesus of all the things that we need to do to be good enough to be a Christian. All the things that we need to do to earn God's love. It'd be easy to, to look at this list and say, well, I, I guess from my Bible, I, I, I need to be a little bit more poor in spirit, and maybe I should work a little bit harder on, on being merciful, and, and maybe if I get myself cleaned up and then I'm pure in heart, then I'll get into the kingdom. Like This is a list of qualifications, like a resume for somebody to get into the kingdom of heaven. And it would be really sad if that's how we looked at it, because that's the majority opinion. A lot of people look at the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom, and we get it all wrong. We think that they're somehow uh, uh, prescriptive, like this is the medicine you have to take to get into the kingdom of God. But what I want to challenge you to think today, what if instead this list is descriptive? What if Jesus is giving us a glimpse into what it looks like when the kingdom is on the move? It's a different way of looking at Jesus' teachings. Think about it this way. Go back uh, a few pages to page 332. And we're going to get a little bit of context for this story. So if you're in the story, go to page 332 or Matthew chapter 4. So just flip back a couple pages in your Bible. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 What was Jesus doing just before the Sermon on the Mount? What was he up to? What you got to understand today is that Jesus wasn't about walking around offering theological proofs. He was really into walking around and changing people's lives. That's what he was up to. His teaching, in other words, was an example of show and tell. And now here's the show. So the middle of page 332, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the what? The kingdom. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Jesus is giving us a live demonstration of what it looks like to show and tell about the kingdom. Remember show and tell when you were growing up? Did you ever do show and tell at school? Or am I the only one? Okay, a few of you, I see you nodding your head. So when you do show and tell at school, right, you would bring your baseball glove or a comic book or maybe, what do you bring? Your pet hamster? I don't know. Whatever you bring. And the whole point is that you're not just telling people about it, you're showing them, right? The power is in the demonstration, Right? If you bring your jump rope to show and tell, you're just going to say, this is a jump rope. No, you're going to show them how you use it. If you bring your pet hamster, you watch it run around the room or something and freak the girls out, right? That's what you do for show and tell. The power is in the show. Same is true with Jesus is talking about the kingdom. So back to the story, obviously Matthew chapter 4 is the show. Flip the page to Matthew chapter 5. And it's the tell. If you look at the Beatitudes and just pull them out of context, you might say, there's another list of all the things I have to do to be good enough. But if you look and put the Beatitudes back in the story, you'll realize that Jesus 
is teaching about the very things he just did. Now, we know that a huge crowd was gathered around Jesus, and who do you suppose these people were? Like pastors and leaders, really important people. Now, Jesus didn't hang out with the religious people that much. He didn't really have time for them. The people that were hanging out around Jesus while he's telling are the people that just he got done showing the power of the kingdom, the people that had just been healed, the people that had just been loved, the left over, the left behind, the left out, the crippled, the diseased, the beggars, people just like you and me. It's easy to look at a story and say, well, Jesus spent a lot of time with people that have issues, but I don't have issues. Well, I hate to break it to you this morning. I got to remind you this on a regular basis. You got issues. Turn to the person next to you and just kind of elbow them and say, hey, you got issues. So here's my question for you. If you're one of the people with issues that's gathered around Jesus during the Beatitudes, are you more likely to listen to somebody preach about new life or you listen to somebody that preach that just gave you your life back? Probably the person that did the show, not just the tell, right? And I, I don't know. I just have this feeling that maybe there's some of us here today like there was in the crowd that day. And maybe you're tired. And maybe you're worn out. And maybe you're stressed out. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're feeling disconnected from God for a long time. So put yourself in the story. You're one of those people with issues, although you don't want to admit it. But you heard there's this rabbi named Jesus. And you push yourself through the crowd just maybe for a chance to see Jesus. And you kind of work your way to the front, and there he is, and you're like, well, he doesn't look like a king. He looks kind of ordinary. But man, he's growing in popularity, and, and, and you're desperate to hear a word from him. So you push your way to the front, and this rabbi is teaching to thousands of people, and you're in the front row, and he looks you right in the eyes, and he starts to say, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Because when there's less of you, there's more room for me. You're blessed. Right where you are. And I love you right where you are. To the crowd that day and to us here today, Jesus says, you're blessed. Not because you found the kingdom, but because the kingdom found you. That's a totally different way of looking at Jesus' sermons, isn't it? In fact, that's the message of our baptism today. Yes, we receive forgiveness of sins, and we receive eternal life in heaven someday, but that life starts now. In the Gospels, as you see Jesus teach and preach, Jesus is way more concerned with how we live into the kingdom now than just waiting for a kingdom someday. Jesus is way more concerned in his teaching with how we get heaven to earth instead of just how we get from earth to heaven someday. Yeah, he's concerned about that. But Jesus says the kingdom is a reality that you and I can step into today, and that's the gift of baptism. We're saying that you can step into this life right now, here, today, just as you are with all your issues. Jesus loved to hang out with people like you and I with issues. You turn the page uh, over 
to page 341, and a little bit later in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray. And what does he tell them? You should pray like this, God, I pray that I will get my get-out-of-jail-free card and not go to hell someday, and I want to be in heaven with you. Now, that's not how Jesus teaches us to pray. What does he say? Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wow, that kind of puts the Lord's prayer into context, isn't it? Whenever we pray that prayer, we're not just going, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, I got taught this in Sunday school growing up. Blah, 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 blah. No, we're saying, Jesus, I want to participate with you in ushering in the kingdom. All these stories you're going to read this week are examples. Jesus is giving us a glimpse into a new reality, into a kingdom reality that you and I can start living in today, not just in the eternal church service in the clouds someday. Right now, here, blessed are you. Step into it. Step into this reality today. Join me. But the danger is that we can stop there. And if that's all we think that Jesus did, then we might just stop and think, okay, Jesus was a really good teacher, like some people said in the video, right? He's a good guy, right? He started this movement with some people, and it turned out not what he expected. It turned out exactly as he expected. And here's why. Because Jesus knew that he would need to get to our hearts and capture our hearts, not just through giving us teaching and more information, but by letting us experience what he was talking about. Jesus didn't communicate truth. He said, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus says, you want to know what truth is? Follow me. Come to me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So step into that today. Don't just listen to the words I say. Imitate me. And that's the second way that we get to know Jesus through the Gospels is through imitation. Not just information, but imitation. Calling us to live like him. Let me ask you this question. Would you even consider, would you even consider following somebody who isn't willing to model for you first what they're telling you to do? Think about that. Whether it's a parent or a boss or a supervisor or whoever it is, what if they say, you know, I really want you to stay, uh, stay late after work this entire week and get this project done, but I'm going to cut out early around two. Kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth a little bit. Or what if you're a parent and you, and, and you say to your kid, you know, we need to watch our mouths and we need to not take the Lord's name in vain. And then you go out and somebody cuts you off in traffic. And Why would you follow somebody who's not willing to model for you first what they're doing. Have you ever heard people say, you know, I just hear this sometimes, and sometimes from leaders or parents, you ever hear people say, oh, just do as I say, not as I do. You ever hear people say that? And I go, what? What's that all about? Why do we feel the need to say that? Well, because we don't want to be a hypocrite, right? But what if we took Jesus' example to harden into that world, Jesus steps in and say, no, actually do as I say and as I do. Jesus is worth imitating. And he chooses a dozen ordinary, bro broken, messed up people with issues, just like you and me, called the 12 disciples, and he says, don't just listen to me, follow me. Come follow me and imitate my life. 
Some of you have heard us talk about this before, but the backstory here is that Jesus is a rabbi, right? And rabbis called disciples. And disciples, the New Testament word for that is methetes. Everybody say methetes. Which translates into English as learner or pupil. So when we're disciples of Jesus, we're learners. And Jesus, the rabbi, calls these 12 disciples not to just sit in a classroom and learn from him and listen, but to live life with him. Every single day to follow the rabbi and do whatever the rabbi did and model and imitate their lives after him. Not just once a week, but it was an invitation into the rabbi's life. Because the truth is, all of us, whether we're following Jesus or we're following somebody else, all of us are imitating somebody, right? Whether we realize it or not. Uh, Recently, my wife has been uh, noticing some strange uh, developments in my life, especially at night. So we're going to be getting ready to to go to bed, and all of a sudden, she's been noticing me doing some strange exercises. So we're getting ready for bed, and all of a sudden, I'm in the hallway going like this. And she's been looking at me going, what are you doing? That is so weird. I go, well, I'm stretching. And I might even add some of these little sparkles into there, right? I'm just stretching. And she's like, why are you stretching that way? And I go, I don't know. And then we went home for Christmas a couple months ago. And guess what my father's doing before bed? And I'm like, oh, now it makes sense, right? Did my, and, and my brother does the same thing. It's scary. Did my dad ever say to my brother and I, okay, so uh, sons, uh, men, before you go to bed, I want you to do some stretches with the quads and get a little sparkles going, right? No. He never told us that. How did, we, how did we learn how to do that? We experienced it. We lived life with him for 20 years. Imitation. Not just information, imitation. And the same is true as we're following Jesus. More often what we experience is caught than taught. More discipleship is caught than taught. We're all imitating someone. The question is, who are you imitating? Are you imitating your parents' faith? Are you imitating what you see out in culture? As, well, that's what a real man is, so that's what I'm going to go do. Or that, that's what a woman is, so that's what I'm going to go do. Who are you imitating these days? And Jesus says, come follow me. Come imitate you because Jesus is worth imitating. But it's not just what Jesus said, it's what they experienced. Think about this. Three years after Jesus' ministry, the disciples are kicking it back and they're saying, okay, let's think about what just happened. We met this guy. He was an amazing person. He died and then he came back from the dead. Not, not normal, okay? And they're reflecting back and they're like, why, why do we feel equipped to go out and to preach the gospel? Why do we feel now equipped and ready to go out and start this thing called the church? I have to believe they're reflecting back on their time with Jesus and they, they may not have remembered everything Jesus said. Just like, I don't think any of us here have the Bible memorized today. But do you remember the stories? Yeah, we remember. And the disciples are, are thinking back a, a few pages earlier on page 345 in the story. There's this woman that comes to Jesus and she's been suffering for 12 years and she cuts through the crowd and she just says, if I could just touch, touch the hem of your cloak, I'll be healed. And I have to believe that the disciples will never forget the look on this woman's face when she finally touches Jesus and instead of growing annoyed 
or frustrated with the crowd, Jesus turns, lifts her up by the chin, looks her in the eyes and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. If I was standing next to Jesus, trying to imitate his life, I will never forget that moment. The disciples will never forget the moment when uh, this Jairus, one of the, the leaders there that day, the brought his daughter and said, my, my daughter is dying, you got to come heal her. And Jesus walks into the room where in his house where this guy's daughter is dead. She is dead. There's people weeping and mourning. They're basically having a funeral. Jesus walks into the situation, stares death, death in the face, and says, why is everybody crying? She's sleeping. She's not dead. And he says, daughter, stand up. And the little girl gets up and walks around. Jesus ruined people's funerals all the time. And if I'm one of his followers, I'm never going to forget that. Imitation. If Jesus ruined a funeral that you were at, you'd probably remember that. If the person just got up. Jesus did these sorts of things all the time. You're going to remember those things. They'll remember that Jesus didn't just reach out to sinners and tax collectors and outcasts as some ministry project to fix. They're going to remember the fact that Jesus hung out with these people. He says, I call you friends. And because of this, because of the kind of people that Jesus loved to hang out with, he got the nickname Friend of Sinners. Oh man, I'd love to have that nickname. Friend of Sinners. Why? Was he hanging out with them to condemn them of their past? No, because Jesus loved them so deeply that they couldn't go back to the way that they were doing life before. They remembered Jesus because no one ever loved like him. No one ever served like him. No one ever forgave people like he did. No one ever stared death in the face and won like he did. Oh, he's far from just being a good man. He's the greatest man who ever walked the face of the earth. And so my question for you this morning, is he just worth admiring from a distance? Or is he worth bending your entire life around and imitating everything? People don't remember everything Jesus said, but they remember how deeply he loved. What are people going to remember you for? how many hours you worked or how well you loved. This book that you hold in your hands, just hold your Bible if you've got it, whether it's the story Bible or a different one. Just hold that for a second. This book has a voice. <laughs> and whenever we read these stories, it's pleading with us, it's calling out to us, you just got to do it. <laughs> you just got to do it. Don't just read these stories about Jesus. Live like Jesus imitate him. Don't just keep it up here in your head. Let it sink down. Let it soak in. Breathe it in. Breathe my love in, Jesus says to you today. Just do it. Remember what the Nike slogan was many years ago? What was it? Just do it. And that's what the gospel say. Just do it. Just go do it. What would it look like if you went out this week and says, well, well, I, I've got the Bible and, and that's what I've got. I don't care what the world says. I've got God's word, and it says, go and make disciples, and don't be ashamed of speaking the gospel to people and loving people. Go do it. Go love your neighbor this week. No, your literal neighbors. 
What if you went and served them so well this week that they just had to ask, why? Why do you serve me so well? Go and, and, and start a new life group. Go gather some people around you and open up God's word and just wipe the slate clean and say, if this was all we had, what would our lives look like? What would it look like to follow Jesus if we just had the scriptures, if we just had the stories about him? What would your life look like? Go home and, and ask for forgiveness from your family, from people that you've hurt, instead of always having to be right. Is it more important that you're right or that people feel loved? What if we actually went and did the things that Jesus called us to do? What if you hung out with the people and loved the people that seemed to deserve it the least? Just go do it. Just go do it. Uh, earlier this year, I was preaching out at our West Des Moines campus. And uh, I got done preaching, and I, I, I put my heart and soul into it. I'm like, man, I hope it made sense to somebody. And, and it's not easy to stand up in, in, in front and, and preach and do all that. And this guy walks down and waited till I was talking to a few, a few other people. And this guy walks down, and he says to me, uh, Hey, John, no offense, but um, every time that you or you know, one of the other pastors at Hope preaches here, I just think to myself, you know what? I could do that. I'm like, oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> That's not what normally people would say, man, you touch me, right? I'm like, I have no idea what I said, but man, you touch me, right? This guy says, oh, I could do that. I'm, I'm kind of taken back, and I'm like, okay. And he's like kind of kidding, but kind of serious all at the same time. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, all you pastors seem to do here is open up the Bible, read something that Jesus said, and say, hey, and he was kind of joking, like the way that we get all excited sometimes. He's like, all you guys do is open up a passage, read something Jesus says, and it's like, hey guys, you just got to go do it. And I was like, okay. And he's like, that's what you do. And I'm like, yes, that's what we do. Like the light bulb went on for me as well. I was like, that's what we've been trying to get you to understand all along. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's, it's that amazing. It's that simple. And I, I looked at him. I said, that's it. That's the point. And he goes, I know. And he's getting more and more excited. And, and he goes, it's so simple. He goes, how did I miss this? And I go, I don't know, but just keep doing it. And he goes, okay, I will. And like, we just had this bonding moment. And he's kind of my age. And you know when guys bond, they don't know whether to shake or hug or... So we ended up doing this like awkward bro hug thing. Um, and he's walking down the aisle just saying, I, I, I just got to go do it. I just, I got to go do it. Just open up the Bible and read what Jesus says and then go do it. And some of you are sitting there right now going, oh, this sounds way too simple. And what I have to say is, no, it really is. And we make this thing so complicated. What if you opened up your Bible this week and just said, Jesus, I want to I live like you. And I don't want to just go through the motions and do the church thing. What if this was all I had? What would your week look like? Who do you say I am? And so we circle back to where we started. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus poses this question to his disciples and he says, okay, guys, who do you say that I am. And from the peanut gallery, with his big loud mouth as always, comes Peter. 
And he says, without even, just without even hesitating, from, from the depths of who he is, he, he steps to the front of the line and says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Who do you say that I am? When Peter said that, he wasn't reciting what he learned in Jesus 101 class. He had experienced Jesus for the last three years. And he was imitating what he saw. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. For Peter, it was real. And my question for you this morning is, is it real? It will never be real through you until it's real in you. Who is Jesus? Is he a good man? Is he a good teacher? Or is he God? And if he's God, I believe he says to every single one of us today, I've given you my life. Now will you trust me with yours? He's worth imitating. He's worth bending all of our lives around. Who do you, who do you say that I am? Let's go live like he's God this week. And he's worth giving everything for. Amen? Let's stand and pray together.